Good morning, Cornerstone. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Christian Burkhardt. I'm one of the elders and pastors here at Cornerstone, and I have the privilege of teaching you from God's Word this morning. Now, over the last two weeks, Todd's done a great job of getting us going with this 100-day focus on the spiritual disciplines by breaking down these different practices into four main categories, listening to God in the Bible, speaking to God in prayer, then obeying what God has commanded, and then lastly, fellowshipping, that these are things that we don't only do on our own, but we do with other followers of Jesus in the context of, of deep relationships that we build with one another. Todd called these disciplines patterns that place us in the presence and pathway of God. He called them acts of worship that focus our attention and our affections upon God. And so these habits have the power to transform us to be more like Jesus. Now, the power is not in the activities themselves, but in the way that these activities place us in the presence and pathway of God. God is the one who changes us as we faithfully draw near to Him. Now, the rest of our teaching series this fall, each week we'll look at a specific discipline, starting today with the discipline of reading and listening to Scripture. And I want to emphasize both reading and listening. We live in a time when most of us, through the accessibility of education, have the ability to read. And because of how easy it is to publish books and the internet, most people have access to a Bible, even multiple versions and copies and languages of the Bible. But in previous generations, the ability to read, as well as having copies of the Bible to read, was not as commonplace. The majority of God's people throughout history have encountered God's Word primarily by hearing it. And here's the thing, that's the way the Bible was designed to be used. It was designed to be heard. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture so that the people in Timothy's local church could regularly listen to God's Word and build their lives around it. Now, some of you might be like me. I, I actually feel like I can focus and, and retain information better through reading. And so I'm really grateful to live in a day and age where I can have my own copy of the Bible to read. But I know that some of you, reading is more of a struggle for you. Maybe what you found is that you are able to focus better and retain information better by listening to the Bible by listening online or maybe when your parents or your spouse reads it to you. And what I want you to hear from me is that that is 100% okay. Listening to God's Word is not a second-class way of interacting with the Bible. Most of our brothers and sisters throughout history have learned and loved God's Word by hearing it. So if that's you, you're in good company. In fact, I would say even if you're a reader, Listening to God's Word provides a whole different experience, and you might want to try it. You may notice things through hearing that your eyes skipped over while you were reading it. But the point is, whether you listen to God's Word or read it, regularly spending time in Scripture is essential to our growth in Christ. And as Todd will show us next week, whether you listen or read, the point is not only to hear God's Word, but to obey it to put it into practice. That's next week, but for the rest of our time today, I want to explore this question with you. As we regularly listen to God's Word, what does it do to us? How does God use His Word to change us? And then along the way, I also want you to think about this other question. 
What do you want from God's word when you read it? And is that the same thing that God wants for you from his word? When you come to this book, do you understand how God wants to use it in your life? Or do you come with your own ideas of how you want to use it? I want to briefly look at three passages with you this morning that I think get to the heart of God's purposes for his word in our lives. The first one's the shortest one we'll look at, but I also think it's the most important. So if you have a Bible or your phone, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20. This is toward the end of John's account of Jesus' life. And as he begins to draw his book to a close, John gives us a hint that there's much more that Jesus did and said than what he could fit into his gospel. But he says that he had a specific purpose for why he included the events in this book that he did. Take a look at John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the apostles, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, everything that I wrote to you was so that you might believe in Jesus, that you might know him and trust him and follow him and then experience life in him. And I think that everything that John says about his words applies not only to what he wrote, but to the entirety of the Bible. It's like the way the author of Hebrews starts his letter when he says that long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. All of scripture from beginning to end is given to us by God so that we might know him. And nowhere has God spoken louder or clearer than in Jesus, his son. So John says, believe him and find life in him. The purpose of the Bible is so that we might know God and trust him and follow him. He is the main character of this book. In this book, we learn of his actions, his, his attributes, his purposes and plans and promises and commands. There is much wisdom in scripture, but we don't read the Bible just to gain wisdom. There's much in the Bible that is inspiring, that's convicting, that, that's even entertaining. But we don't just read this book to be inspired or convicted or entertained. God has spoken to us in this book so that we might know him and trust him and follow him. Is that why you listen to this book? Sometimes I think we can approach God's word kind of like a high school yearbook. Do you remember getting those? I don't even know if high schoolers still get those. I don't know if maybe they're all just online now, but I still remember what it was like on yearbook day at my school. We'd all get our yearbook and every single one of us, we'd do the same thing first. Before anything else, we'd flip to the back of the yearbook and look for the index, the place where it listed all of our names and then it listed all the page numbers where there were pictures of us. Yeah, later we'd thumb through the whole thing and we'd pass them around and sign each other's yearbooks and all the have a great summer and all that stuff. But the first thing on our minds when we got those yearbooks was, where am I? Is that the way you approach God's word? Is your first thought, what does this book say about me? About my life, about what I'm going through? 
Now, truly, the Bible says a lot about us and our lives and what we're going through. But even more, the Bible is about the God who made us, who gives us our lives, and who already knows what we're going through. So when you come to the Bible, come to know God, to place yourself in his presence and pathway, or as John says it, come to believe in him and find life in his name. That's the first and most important thing to know about what God wants to do with his word in our lives. All of the other blessings and benefits of scripture that we're going to talk about in these next few minutes, you need to know these come not just from reading this book, but from knowing and walking with the God of this book. Don't miss God in your rush to get his gifts. Delight in him as the giver. The second passage I want to look at with you this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This passage describes what sets the Bible apart from every other book, and it also describes how God uses this book to transform us. Listen to this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. First off, Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, not just our favorite parts of scripture, not just our favorite verses, the ones we like to put on coffee mugs or on journals, and not just the red letters that some of our Bibles have to point out the words of Jesus in the gospels. And not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament too. All scripture is breathed out by God. This is what is known as the doctrine of inspiration. That the words of scripture, as originally written by the biblical authors, were inspired or breathed out by God. That these are God's words, as well as man's words. The Bible was written by at least 40 different human authors over at least 1,500 years, yet each of these authors wrote or spoke or even collected and arranged sections like the Psalms or the Proverbs. They did all of that under the guidance and inspiration of God. 2 Peter 1.21 says that the prophetic authors of Scripture spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see, this is why we as Christians believe that the Bible is unlike any other book, that this book has power that no other book has. We believe that when we read and listen to this book, we can truly encounter God because these are his words. But Paul doesn't just talk about what God did in inspiring scripture. He also talks about what God does now in us as we read his word. And he lists out four purposes. Look again at verse 16. He says that this breathed out word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That, that God's word can teach us what is right and true. That God's word also calls us out and shows us where we are wrong. That's what that word reproof means. That God's word also corrects us. That it is able to move us from error to truth, from sin to 
to righteousness, and not only to identify what is righteous, but to train us in righteousness. And the purpose of all of this is so that we may be competent or complete, capable, proficient, equipped for every good work. You see, God's word is not only intended to transform us, but to make us agents of transformation in his world. People who do good works, who through our lives and actions and relationships, we can bring peace and justice and beauty and even healing into his world through our actions. That God intends to use this book to equip us for the mission that he gave us in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. That's why this book is so essential. But think back to those four purposes that Paul talks about again, teaching, reproof, correction, training. Here's the point I want you to understand. All of us need all of them. However long or short you've been walking with Jesus, we all need ongoing teaching from God's word. We all need scripture to show us what is still broken and corrupt in our thoughts, in our actions, in our desires. We need to be corrected by God's word and we need to be trained and equipped through scripture for the good works that God has for us. You could look at these four purposes from 2 Timothy 3, almost like what the, the steps that a doctor takes to treat a broken bone. So, so say you come to the ER one day because you've had some sort of an accident and, and your arm that used to look like this now looks like this and it hurts really bad. So the first thing that the doctor does is he, is he pulls out this diagram or maybe it's up on his wall and he shows you what the bones in your arm are supposed to look like. He says, okay, here's how it should all work, how the muscles and the tendons should connect and that's how the, your arm is supposed to work. That's teaching, showing you what is right and true, the way that things should be. But not only does the doctor show you what your arm should, like, should look like, he also then throws up an x-ray of what your arm looks like right now. He says, okay, see this one over here? Now, let's look at yours. See how these bones are snapped? You see all these little fragments that are scattered around your arm? And in that moment, you go, oh, no wonder why it hurts so much. That's reproof, showing you what's wrong in light of what is right. And honestly, Reproof, receiving reproof from God's word or even as, as other believers bring God's word to you, it's never a pleasant feeling. It never feels good. And that's why some of us fight tooth and nail against reproof. We refuse to acknowledge that we're wrong when reproved by God's word or by other believers. But what I want you to see is that's about as foolish as trying to deny that your arm is broken when it's clearly going the wrong way. Such denial and fighting, it doesn't do any good. It doesn't fix the pain or the problem. It just leaves you in that broken state. Church, this is why all of us must learn to trust the reproof of God's word. Learn to acknowledge that, yes, I am broken and deceived and I'm blind to most of it. I don't know what's going on. I need the x-ray of God's word to expose what is broken in me. And I need to receive that exposure, receive that reproof. Because I know 
that God doesn't just intend to show me where I'm broken, he intends to correct me. You see, correction is almost like then when the doctor, having shown you what your arm should look like and showing you what it looks like now, then takes the steps to set the bone. And then he fits your arm with a cast to protect it and keep those bones in place as they heal. And that's the amazing thing about God's word is it does that for us too. It corrects us, it heals us, especially as we take this book and we read and discuss and pray about it with others. Healthy Christian community is kind of like that cast on a broken arm. That through our relationships together as God's people, as what Paul says later in, in, in Colossians 3.16, as we let the word of Christ dwell in us all richly, that community provides the gentleness, the stability, the patience that helps us to grow and to heal. Finally, this idea of training in righteousness, it's, you could compare it to like having physical therapy after the doctor takes your cast off. The bones have healed, and now what you need to do is rebuild the strength and range of motion so that you can use your arm appropriately. All four of these ways that God uses his word are essential for our lives. As we spend time reading the Bible, watch the way that these same four purposes play out, the way that God provides teaching, reproof, correction, and training for all sorts of different situations in our lives, for our, for our marriages, for our parenting, for sexuality, for the way we see the environment and, and interact with it for our emotions, the, the way we view the world, philosophy, ethics. The Bible teaches us God's good intent for us. It reproves us. It shows us where we're broken. It corrects us, showing how especially the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ have broken the power in, of sin in our lives. And that now, through the grace and forgiveness of God and the new life in Christ through the Holy Spirit, what is broken in our lives can be healed. What's out of order can be brought into order. That we truly can repent, turn from sin to righteousness. We can resist temptation. We can learn to love one another from a sincere heart. And by reading, listening, studying, meditating on God's word, and not just doing that, but putting what we learn into practice. This is how God trains us to be competent and capable for every good work. Do you see what a privilege it is to have such a powerful gift that is so readily accessible to us if we make use of it? Do you see why the discipline of listening and reading God's word is so important? Lastly, let's look briefly at Psalm 1. This short psalm gives us a beautiful picture of the cumulative effect of a life spent regularly listening to God's word. Listen to this. Blessed is the man or the woman. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the gathering of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This blessed person that the psalm talks about, this righteous one that God knows, do you see how this psalm describes them both in terms of what they don't do and by what they do? He says they don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They don't sit in the seat of the scornful. In other words, they don't build the patterns of their lives around doing and thinking and saying and reposting all the same things as those who do not follow God. The righteous person doesn't think that he's superior or better than those who don't know God. The righteous person will love and engage in conversation and serve others, even those who think differently than they do. But let me say this, the thing that marks this blessed person, this righteous person, is that they don't drink from the same well as everyone else. Get what I mean by that? They don't just simply absorb and then regurgitate the same opinions, the same pundits, the same memes and social commentary as everyone else. Instead, they find their nourishment, their wisdom, their stability, and their delight somewhere else. Look back at verse 2. This righteous person's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate in Hebrew simply means to mutter, to, to repeat over and over to yourself God's word, to mull it over, to discuss it with others, to, to chew on it, not just to mindlessly scroll through it like you do with your social media feed, but instead ruminating, marinating on God's word regularly, daily over the course of your whole life. But look at the other word that he uses in verse 2 to describe what this righteous person does. Not only does he meditate on God's law, he delights in it. He takes pleasure from God's word. She is passionate about God's word. Do you know what that's like? Do you delight in God's word? Are you passionate about encountering God in the pages of Scripture? If so, meditate on it. Read God's Word. Listen to it. Discuss it with others every day for the rest of your life. If you miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Keep, keep going. This is a discipline, but it's also a discipline that leads to delight. But if, on the other hand, you hear what I'm saying and you go, I, I don't delight in God's Word. You have yet to experience the richness, the value of God's Word. If you have yet to experience God's Word as a way to place yourself in the pathway and presence of God, then meditate on it. Build that habit. Keep at it. The amazing thing that Psalm 1 verse 2 shows us is that there is this, this two-way reciprocal relationship between meditating on God's word and delighting in it. That 
meditating, muttering consistently over for the rest of our lives, spending time in God's Word, fuels our delight in God's Word. And in the same way, our delight in God's Word fuels our meditation of it. And the cumulative, the total result of all this meditation and delight is that we become like those trees planted by streams of water. We're rooted in God. We're stable. We're secure even when our circumstances are crazy. We're nourished by a steady stream of God's teaching and reproof and correction and training. And the result of all of this, as he says, is not only are we rooted and secure, but we bear fruit. We are equipped for good works. We are equipped to bless others and to beckon them to find life in Christ like we have. Here's the way I want to end with you. I want to return to the question that Todd's asked us several times over the last few weeks. Who do you want to be at the end of these hundred days? A couple weeks ago, Todd asked us if we'd rather be a squash or an oak tree. A squash can grow within one season. An oak tree takes a century. In some ways, Psalm 1 presents us with a similar choice. Do you want to be a fruitful tree rooted by the water or the chaff, the leftover stalk after the wheat kernels are harvested, that basically they just let the wind carry away or they gather it to use it as kindling to start a fire? The difference between those who are like chaff and those who are rooted and secure in God's word all comes down to what you do with this book and what you do with the God of this book. So let me ask you again the question I posed at the beginning. When you read your Bible, what do you want from it? Do you come to this book looking for an inspiring word for the day, looking for practical wisdom for your life? Do you come to this book just out of the habit, maybe you're a teacher or a pastor like I am, and you can get in the habit of approaching this book and almost shortcutting yourself because you're just preparing a lesson to teach others. All of those things, inspiration, wisdom, teaching others are good things, but they are not the main thing we come to this book for. Rather, when you come to God's word, do you come to it in order to know him, to hear from him, to be like him, to be molded by God's word in order to be like him, that's the main thing. Sadly, it is possible to focus on this book and still miss the God of this book. In John 5, Jesus spoke of some people who had fallen into that same error. He said to them, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is these scriptures that bear witness about me, and yet you refuse to come to me so that you may have life. Gosh, these are some of the saddest words in the Bible. To, to live a life devoted to God's word and yet miss the God of the word? Cornerstone, I pray that that is not the case for you or for me. Remember, the intent of the Bible is to place us in the pathway and presence of God. So this week, 
We're a few weeks into this 100 days, but as we continue to build this discipline of reading and listening and meditating on God's word, remember that first passage we looked at from John 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. All the blessings of God's word, the teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training, being rooted and nourished and fruitful, all of these blessings come not just through the Bible, but through a relationship with the triune God of the Bible. Therefore, in the name of that triune God, in the name of God the Father, who in many times, in many ways, has spoken by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. And in the name of that Son, Jesus Christ, who John says in John chapter 1, is the Word of God, the fullest revelation of God's character and actions and sacrificial love. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who carried along the authors of Scripture so that we, through their writings, might believe and have life in Jesus' name. Cornerstone, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may God bless you to delight in his word, to meditate on his word, and may he equip you by his word for every good work. Amen.